Hi, I'm Dr. Sarah Howard, and welcome to the Pure Animal Podcast. On today's episode, we're talking to Dr. Edward Bassingthwaite, or Dr. Ed, about whole energy body balance. Dr. Ed graduated as a vet from the University of Queensland in 1995. He is known globally as the Healing Vet and is passionately devoted to do the best in holistic pet health care. Through his own recovery from chronic fatigue syndrome and Lyme disease, Dr. Ed explored holistic medicine and energy healing. After realising that animals also responded well to this approach, he created the Whole Energy Body Balance Method. Dr. Ed now practices integrative medicine in veterinary hospitals while empowering pet parents and professionals all over the world to find and heal pets' silent pain, anxiety, and trauma with his web online practitioner training. Dr. Ed, thank you so much for being a very honoured guest on the Pure Animal podcast. How are you today? Yeah, I'm not too bad. Thanks so much for having me along to talk to you. Well, you're very welcome. And we're very excited to learn all about your whole energy body balance method. But before we go straight to that method, I'm just really curious to understand a little bit about your background, um, you know, a bit of your life story and why you ended up becoming a vet. Yeah, I grew up on a a cattle property in North Queensland. Um, So I started working with animals from a very early age and and I uh, had, a, you know, a wish to be a vet from pretty, pretty young. Yeah. But one of the main reasons I did the veterinary degree was that I thought it would be a a good degree to take back to the farm, you know, and, and use on the farm, yeah. which never ended up happening. <laughs> but I've always, always had a really strong interest in working with animals. We, we bred and trained and competed on horses, so I've had ah, a strong interest me in too. training. <laughs> yeah. what, uh, what discipline were you competing in? Uh, we used to do rebred Australian stock horses, so camp drafting was oh, the main right. thing. Okay, wonderful. Yeah. So you didn't end up working as a production animal vet or a horse vet by the sounds of it. <laughs> I did about 18 months or a year of mixed practice when I started off and that cured me of ever wanting to see another large animal again in my life. <laughs> I don't think that's a um, very uncommon story actually. <laughs> With vets out there, it is a lot easier working in small animal practice a lot of the time. It is. This is true. And so you started out in conventional practice and now you work as an integrative vet. So tell us, where did you become interested in integrative medicine? Was it through personal experience or, you know, frustrations that you found in conventional clinics? Um, I'd love to hear a bit about where that interest was sparked. It mainly came from me coming down with with chronic fatigue syndrome and what I didn't realise until many years later was most likely Lyme disease as well. Uh, Um, So Western medicine ran out of ways to help me very rapidly Mm -hmm. and I had to Mm pour a lot of complementary alternative holistic type stuff to get well. Uh, It worked Mm -hmm. well for me and then I started playing around with using it with animals and I found it worked worked well for them too. So it's really been... uh, a healing response to my own issues to move into that field. And so did you um, have chronic fatigue or, um, you know, you suspect Lyme disease while you were practising as a vet? I had it for about 20 years. I've probably only really come back to close to 100% in the last year or so. Oh, wow. And you're feeling, so you're 100%, I'm just quite curious about this, your 100% is you having what you feel is normal energy back 
to live your life? Well, I suppose in, in the last year I work, you know, 40 to 50 plus hours a week and have an active social life and and I can do that. So for me that's pretty pretty awesome. Mm. Um, I had a lot of years where, you know, I was working. I had my own home visit practices and things like that, but it was a continual struggle and I'd regularly kind of crash and have to take time off and, and just nothing mm. really helped me be well, you know. Yeah, that sounds really tough. Well, I'm glad that you're you're feeling so much better and that you feel like those years are behind you, hopefully. <laughs> yeah. So, Dr. Ed, you have developed something called the Whole Energy Body Balance Method or the WEB Method, and I'm very curious about what this is and what it entails. Can you please tell us about that? So um, I, I started off working hands-on with animals about 26 years ago. I, I met a, a vet called Dr. Tom Ahern who worked with horses' necks and he would take horses that had a fall in lameness that they could not find a reason for with nerve blocks and x-rays, all that sort of thing. He would anaesthetize these horses, mobilize the vertebrae in the neck, and their lameness would go away. So, oh, wow, um, under anaesthetic. Was, Interesting. Yeah, I was super fascinated by this because didn't get taught anything about this kind of thing at university. Mm. Um, he sat down with me for a couple of hours and taught me a whole lot of stuff, and then my next thought was, well, you know, dogs and cats have necks and backs. <laughs> yeah. So I started exploring and palpating and feeling more deeply and, and pretty quickly started finding quite a bit of pain, restriction from movement, dysfunction. Um, and when I found that, I wanted to do something to help these animals. Mm, In those days, course. there were really no physical modalities that you could go off and learn. So I just started playing around with pressure and movement um, and pretty quickly started finding that animals responded well to that. Mm -hmm. uh, and I've been kind of doing that ever since one way or another. I also, with chronic fatigue, had a lot of pain and tension in my own body. So I've had a lot of really good physical therapists work with me and I've learned a lot from yeah. having people work on my body. So yeah. um, after some years, I realized that the neck and back are all well and good, but there's also all of these neurofascial tissues throughout the body that often store up and hold a lot of pain. Yeah. Uh, so I started working with that, and as a part of that exploration, I started noticing that some of the qualities of therapeutic touch that I was using and developed cause a really strong relaxation response in animals. So I've also found that this therapeutic touch work can be incredibly helpful for behavior modification in anxious animals mm -hmm. and for helping mm -hmm. heal trauma in, you know, rescue animals and animals that have been traumatized. And in addition yeah. to the kind of really physical stuff, there is an intuitive and an energy healing element that energy healing was one of the few things that gave me much relief when I was really unwell. Mm -hmm. And I found that animals seem to respond pretty nicely to that too. Now I know that the scientific orthodoxy gets a bit of a headache when you talk about energy healing. Mm -hmm. But if you dig into it, there is actually some really good um, early stage high level evidence that shows that these kind of interventions can absolutely be doing better than placebo. Yeah, right. I imagine that would be quite a difficult study to design. What, are, what yeah. have you looked at those study designs? Like, what are they actually measuring? Are they doing well, they, like, they saliva recorders on wound healing or? in mice where they, you know, iatrogenically oh, right. created wounds and had a and this, this group was actually repeated and randomised and, and a, what you call an A-grade study. Yeah. And the, the mice that had this intervention healed significantly faster than the ones that didn't. 
Now, we don't have a mechanism mm. of action, which is another reason why science gets a really bad migraine and just wants to go to bed with this sort of stuff. But, yeah. but I've seen some interesting responses in animals with these kinds of approaches too. Yeah, I think the anecdotal evidence, you know, when it's as strong as you say and and you're not the first person to be discussing, um, you know, energetics on this podcast, I think that it oh, it has so much weight. <laughs> we're, we're going to talk a little bit more about how you can use your method for anxiety and trauma management a little bit later. Mm-hmm. But something that I know and I've just recently seen your webinar on, I know that you find is the biggest challenge in animals, and we're talking mainly dogs and cats, but of course all animals, is silent pain. So this is pain which, um, uh, you know, I'm I'm going to try and summarise what I've learned from you this morning from watching your webinar, pain that is not overtly displayed. So we're not seeing um, any vocalisation necessarily, any lameness, any obvious signs, and it's not until you might get your hands or a pet parent might get their hands on their animal that that pain can be recognised. So can you talk to us about silent pain? Um, you know, what is it? What are the most common causes that you see? And we can we can dig a little deeper into that. Well, I, I really realised that silent pain was a thing when I missed really awful neck pain in my own little dog for three weeks. Um, he'd had a fall on the steps. My, I was married at the time. My wife had actually seen it, but he got up, shook himself off and seemed totally okay, and she didn't think to tell mm-hmm. me. Now, mm-hmm. he didn't show any signs to me that anything was untoward, but some three weeks after that I took him out to be a demonstration dog when I was teaching, and he was just a little bit more reactive than usual with other dogs. Yeah. And then I got my hands on him, and I found that that his neck was just really, really, really bad. So that's yeah. what triggered me into a lot of this was, okay, if, if an experienced vet whose special interest is working with animals with pain mm. and body work and all that sort of thing can miss this sort of thing, severe pain in their animal, then I, I started getting curious about how many uh, people in the world had animals that had this this hidden pain or what I call silent pain. Mm. And I found that um, I did a little informal clinical study where I had 63 new dogs come through the door and, and I asked the people, do you think your dog's got any pain? And 53% of those people said, no, I think my dog's totally fine. But when I got my hands on them, they had significant soft tissue pain in their body that they weren't showing any mm. signs that made their humans worried, you know. Yeah. So yeah. now I'm on kind of a mission to educate about this because I didn't get taught anything much about soft tissue pain, neurofascial pain at university. No. And sadly, either. it seems that it's still not being taught at university. I've I've worked with three final year vet students in the last year or so, and none of them had, had anything taught to them about this. So mm. what what I'm seeing is that there's a big blind spot in a uh, knowledge and in skill when it comes to number one, you know, number one understanding that soft tissue pain is a real thing that affects lots and mm. lots of animals and is very commonly undiagnosed or missed. And number two, the Absolutely. only way that you can really effectively and consistently pick up on this silent pain is through a process of palpation of the, the neurofascial tissues and structures of the body while very, very sensitively observing the animal's responses because the only way mm. that these animals can tell you where they hurt and how much it hurts is for you to engage with with gentle questioning pressure into those areas mm-hmm. in the body, and then through their nonverbal communication, they can say, "Oh, yeah, that that hurts there." 
Mm. And do you find, because I'm just thinking back to my days in clinic and quite often the animals that are walking in the door are pretty mm-hmm. uh, pretty anxious about being there and yep. they're often quite quite reactive. And mm-hmm. I'm just thinking if you've got an animal who is in that fight or flight um, zone, you know, they've got the adrenaline, they've got the cortisol on board, they're fearful, they're unhappy, A, what happens if you can't even get your hands on the animal without getting bitten? And B, how do you interpret their reactions when they're already in that state? Do you really need to have a calm, relaxed animal to be able to find this silent pain? Um, Look, once you know how to do this process properly, uh, you should be able to assess the majority of animals that come in the front door. Mm-hmm. Now, you might have to use touch for a few minutes to help them relax and settle a little bit and build trust and connection before you start, you know, sinking into the body a little bit more deeply, which is something else mm-hmm. that, that is very easy to do once you know how. But um, absolutely animals that come in that are in an, an aroused state, we have to remember as veterinarians that any any state of arousal increases pain tolerance, which is a, mm. a survival mechanism, Yeah. If you've got an animal yep. that is fighting or fleeing for its life, then the protective value of pain needs to be turned down or off until that animal gets out of that extreme danger to life situation. Yeah. So we have to consider that. If you've got a dog that is inclined to nip or bite, well, there's a whole range of ways you can get around that. And certainly for me, it's a pretty rare dog that I can't work with without a muzzle on. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, I'm more than happy to put a muzzle on a dog that, that I seriously think is a danger to me and I, I will do that. Yeah, I'll definitely. probably, you know, want to encourage the people to get the dog habituated to a well-fitted basket muzzle and come back at another time with a whole lovely dose of gabapentin and, um, you know, other other situational behaviour medications on board mm. mm-hmm. rather than push the issue and make the underlying vet anxiety or phobia worse. Yeah, um, I did absolutely. the uh, fear-free certification last year and I tell you what, it's one of the yeah. best trainings I've ever done in my life and I recommend oh, all great. vets to go and do that. Yeah, great. We'll, but, we'll link um, to that in the show notes. But, yes, I, I do see it becoming more um, utilised pretty widely, so that's good. Yeah. So, you know, the majority of animals, if you can do a physical examination, a close physical examination of an animal, then you can do this kind of soft tissue pain assessment in nearly all cases. So what I'm hearing is that if we're going to have new graduates with this skill on board already, really this needs to be part of the physical examination for every single animal. And it, it could be and it and it wouldn't add any extra time because you've got your hands on the animal already and you're feeling their abdomen and you're looking at their skin and their coat and you're looking in their ears mm-hmm. and you're looking in their mouth. I mean, adding in some soft tissue assessment and I know that quite often you might palpate down their back, but really, really adding in something really targeted to looking for this silent pain could just yeah. be taught, you know, when the, when the students are first learning a physical examination and then it just becomes part of that. That makes sense well, to abso- me. Absolutely. And, you know, I've taught thousands of people how to do this, um, a small number of being vets, but a lot of being everyday people. And I really think this is something that not only vets need to learn because one of the problems with this is that a lot of vets miss this kind of pain. Now, some vets mm-hmm. get a bit cranky when I start talking about this, and I can kind of understand that. But the fact is that I very regularly have animals come to see me that have 
been recently examined by other vets and I get my hands on them and they've got really significant soft tissue pain that there's no way mm. it could have developed in between the time they saw the last vet and saw me. Mm. You know, mm. one one memorable one of them is I saw a little dog that the, the only kind of symptom was that I'm worried my dog's just not quite themselves. They're just a little bit off colour. Mm. And um, that little dog was kind of like a screaming bundle of soft tissue pain. He was sore all over. Yeah, and he'd been examined shame. by three other vets who'd given him the most thorough physical examination that they knew how to do within the four weeks mm. before I saw him. Interesting. And what was the cause of the pain in that dog? Oh, in that dog, he had a, a ball addiction and his his humans didn't realise that um, throwing the ball for the dog all day every day was actually harmful. <laughs> right. Yeah. So he was just constantly in pain. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, a lot, of, a lot right. of high impact, way too much high impact activity over a lot yeah. of years for that particular yeah. dog. Okay. So it was osteoarthritis in that particular dog? No, it was soft tissue pain. Another problem with vets missing this pain is that it, it doesn't show up on our imaging. So there's nothing no. to see on yep. x-rays, ultrasound, CTs, MRIs, all of that. Yeah. And so what about a, um, a physio or, you know, a veterinary chiropractor? Would they be picking up on these types of pain? Do you find that those you know, the professionals in those modalities a little more well-versed? I think physiotherapists, which would be much more likely to pick it up, but then mm-hmm. physiotherapists, um, like all of us professionals, are going to have kind of like a limited lens that we've been trained to look at the world through. Uh, physios, yeah. and I might not be 100% accurate here, but they're generally going to be looking at muscles and joints. Yep. Um and chiropractors are going to be looking at the spine. Is the spine in alignment? If the spine is not in alignment, yep. then we're going to do a, an adjustment, Adjust. which is a more high, ampli- high, high force but low amplitude uh, input of force yep. into the body. Uh, now, you do get within these professions people that are right across the whole spectrum of the whole mm. network of tissues throughout the body. But I'm just talking in general generalities. I don't want to put everyone in the same box, but, you know, us veterinarians, we've been trained through a specific way of looking at the world and a specific kind of data back of information that we work from. And I think the same is true for all professions. You know, massage therapists yeah. too tend to focus on muscles. A lot of it's called myotherapy mm. or myofascial yes. work. Yeah. And what about acupuncture? Acupuncture is awesome, but it works in a, a different way again, through, more through the meridians, which is a, an mm. energy system that, that is related to the fascial pathways through the body, though, interestingly enough. Yeah. Okay. And so do you ever utilise anything other than your therapeutic touch as a treatment option for these guys? Uh, look, the main thing that I've found is that is most effective for, for relieving neurofascial soft tissue pain is body work. Yep. Uh, hands-on therapies, physical therapies. Uh, there, yep. there are, and you know, physio and chiropractic can work very well in partnership with the kind of work that I do, but they do have a mm-hmm. slightly different effect and work in a slightly different way. But mm-hmm. the primary yep. way that I get to the root cause of soft tissue pain is is through using therapeutic touch. Okay. And what are the most common causes of this soft tissue pain that you see when you're doing your work? Well, any any kind of accident, any kind of trauma, mm-hmm. uh, and that can range from puppies having crashes when they're playing, like mad things. It can it yeah. can be in high impact activity like ball play, uh, rough play with other dogs, 
uh, sports yeah. that have a lot of impact, like agility and and dock jumping and all those sort of things. But but in the end, even just the normal wear and tear of life, very slowly and over time, you get this build up of layers of silent pain in the neurofascial tissues. It's it's kind of mm-hmm. inevitable and and happens to all animals. It happens to us. I know that my body's a little bit less comfortable than it was when I was twenty. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. It takes a lot more um, more upkeep as you get older, doesn't mm-hmm. it? And I know that this is going a little bit on a tangent, but I'm just curious, you, mm-hmm. you're talking a lot about trying to find, um, you know, the source of the pain and your body work is addressing this soft tissue pain. But what about prevention? Is there anything that you recommend to your clients, your pet parents, of how to prevent these soft tissue injuries and, and, you know, repetitive sort of strain injuries occurring again? Well, I think one of the things, you, you can't 100% prevent the wear and tear of life, you know. That, no, that, of course. So but you can minimise it by reducing high impact, high arousal activities to, mm-hmm. to a healthy extent. Now, a little bit of this mm-hmm. is, is healthy for dogs too, but a lot of it isn't. I see a lot of people who walk their dog on the beach with a ball thrower and be going for half an hour, an hour until the dog's nearly, you know, tiring them out. Yeah. Reducing inflammation any way you can, so a fresh whole foods diet, any any chronic inflammation is going to accelerate these kind of problems. Mm-hmm. Um, making sure that your dogs and cats are, are at a healthy weight and not obese. Yeah, of course. That, yeah. That's a double bunger in that it, adds extra weight and tension into the system and yep. um, obesity is causes low-grade inflammation. It does, yeah. Uh, reducing stress and anxiety. Any kind of active mm-hmm. stress and anxiety causes physical tension in the body and any chronic physical tension will increase and um, accelerate the development of this kind of problem. But mm-hmm. really the key thing is to have a consistent hands-on approach where both the the owners and the professionals like the vets have have physical therapy skills and the you know the vets then can pick up what's going on if they need to but the owners can maintain and uh the the only way to sort of prevent it is to treat it as it's as it's happening you know and have regular body work mm-hmm. so my, my animals get regular body work and mm-hmm. it means that they they're much more comfortable and much more active for their age than they would be otherwise. Oh, they're lucky things having you they as their are. dad. <laughs> How many animals do you have, Ed? I have two dogs and two cats. I've got a 15-and-a-half-year-old very ancient whippet who's probably not going to be with us for too oh, much longer. I've got a whippet too, but she's only 18 months. <laughs> oh, they're lots of fun whippets. Um, yeah. they're, they're the most disapproving dogs on the planet, but they're still awesome. <laughs> yeah, I could, do, I could talk to you for hours about whippets, but... <laughs> We won't today, maybe another time. So you've got an older whippet and then, of course, you've got Mitzi. Yep, and two cats. Two cats. And so two the bodywork body method you use on the cats as well? Oh, absolutely. Cats, if anything, yeah. are about 10 times better at hiding this kind of pain than dogs. Yeah. Well, they've got that um, predator attitude, don't they? Yeah. Where they're, you know, wanting wanting to um, always seem fighting fit and ready to go. Yeah. Yeah, so interesting. And um I really love to loop back and talk a little bit more about how you can use your bodywork and your your energy balancing method on 
perhaps some of the more behavioural issues that we see in clinics. So moving away so much from the silent pain, um, anxiety and stress would be, you know, one of the, the most common, if not the most common behavioural issue seen in pets, I would say, in this day and age, particularly this post-pandemic separation anxiety issue that we're seeing in a lot of animals. So you utilise this method for that as well. And is this mainly around educating the pet parent and how they can use the method at home? Because I'm thinking if that animal's coming to see you even just once a week, it's really only spending an hour with you a week and it's spending most of the rest of that time at home. So is it really about empowering the pet parent with the skills to do this ongoing that can help? Absolutely. Um, you know, I have a, a, a particular very easy to learn, quick to learn, um, relaxing bodywork, somatic relaxation technique from the web method, which mm. I can teach people in about 15 minutes. And if wow. they then go home and, and do that maybe 10 or 15 minutes once or twice a day and also use that bodywork anytime the anxious or traumatised animal gets triggered, um, we can, we've seen some really spectacular changes in animals, you know, many animals that mm. are reactive showing significantly reduced reactivity within a couple of weeks. Um, I had one case of a staffy who came to see me a couple of years ago. Now, Clyde was okay while his mum was at home studying, but when she graduated as a nurse and went out to the hospital, Clyde started eating the house mm. um, for yeah. two weeks of all the family giving him lots of relaxing body work and all that anxious, um, destructive behaviour was totally gone. Wow. Which, as a vet, that shouldn't happen, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So th- this is a, a new and very effective and, and often very rapid way of supporting really meaningful behaviour change in anxious animals because what we're doing, every time we use this relaxing touch, we're actually taking the whole physical system into relaxation. Now, often mm-hmm. when I first do this with an anxious animal, you'll see the body relax and they'll soften and then they'll get, jolt themselves upright and say, my God, I can't relax, there's a tiger in the room. So oh, it can sometimes take weeks or months for that whole mental side of anxiety to catch up and realise, oh, wow, I can relax and feel safe. Yeah. That's so interesting. But, and so you're creating that sort of hormonal shift but it's because of the learnt um, you know, the, the sort of memory around certain environments being yeah. anxiety-provoking that needs to take the while, you know, the longer while to, to yeah, basically so, be replaced so with positive memories. kind of touch uses deep pressure and movement that causes, it switches on the parasympathetic nervous system. Yeah, yeah. You keep repeating this, then you're training the animal how to relax and how to regulate themselves into healthy relaxation. So yeah, it's, it's something it. that I haven't seen um, anywhere else, but I've I've been using it as the cornerstone of treatment for anxiety for some years, and wow. I consistently see really really amazing responses. Yeah, no, well, it makes perfect sense. And so, how often are you seeing these patients? Um, it depends on the patient. If they've got a lot of pain, it's good for me to see them every week or two weeks for a yeah. series of bodywork sessions to kind of deal with the, the soft tissue pain issue. Mm-hmm. Um, with anxious animals, um, I might see them weekly or fortnightly for a little while and then maybe maybe monthly. I think it's mm-hmm. really good to have a maintenance thing where they come back mm-hmm. every month or so and, and we make sure that their body's right and that they're not painful 
And to, you know, I also can do a lot more with animals in a shorter time than a lot of owners because I've been working with and training animals, you know, since I was about 10. So another part of what I do is teach them how to express healthy boundaries with their animals, how to get their animals to yield to pressure comfortably and easily so that they stop pulling on the lead and that you can, you know, arrange and move their bodies if you have to in a way that's easy without them struggling against it and all that sort of thing. It's such a holistic approach that you have. I mean, really, you're addressing so many different bugbears of particularly, I would say, dog owners out there. You know, even just something as simple as as um as holding a boundary with your animal and and you know having a more yeah. pleasant walking experience and you're addressing everything with just this you know this this one method it's wonderful oh look most humans are really bad at being able to communicate <laughs> healthy boundaries with their dogs yeah so let's go into that a bit because i'm just thinking of my own dog and um i'm interested to hear what you what your advice usually is Oh, look, behaviour and training is is a really strong special interest for me and I'm influenced mm. really heavily in how I work with dogs by my early years of training training horses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that I teach people is what I call outing. Mm-hmm. And this is just simply being able to say to your dog, out at the edge of your personal bubble, which is maybe an arm's mm-hmm. length away from you in front of you. Mm. You know, should be able to put a hand up and say out and the dog should sit there should stop and respect that and not push to come in, right? Mm. Yeah. Now, not many dogs do that when you ask <laughs> them to. But And it can take a little while. And in the beginning, the dog can be like, what the hell do you mean I can't jump all over you? But what I've found with yeah. a lot of anxious dogs is that they use the human. The, the human is the only drug that works for them to emo- regulate themselves emotionally. Mm. And if you can teach this out thing and you often have to have really strong upright body language and quite direct eye contact and really bring quite a bit of presence and and determination in a gentle way to Mm. get them to respond to this, some dogs I'll have to actually walk into their space very slowly to get them to actually listen and respond. That's a bit rare. um, (laughs) The the secret of this thing is you, you say the dog out, but then you have to keep them out until they stop pushing to come in. Then you have to keep them out until they they self-regulate into a deeper state of relaxation. Mm. I've had anxious dogs come in to see me and and done this process with the people, showing the people how to do it. And after 10 minutes, this extremely anxious dog is lying down, head on the floor, totally relaxed. And I get people saying to me, I've never seen my dog that relaxed even at home. That's amazing. So once you start having a healthy respect for the human's personal space, then the dogs can relax because they know that the human is the benevolent leader of the situation and they don't need to worry about everything. I don't know if you have kids, but I do. And this is ringing so true for young kids as well. And in fact, everything that I've learned is that having the healthy boundary in and of itself can be so relaxing because it means that the animal or child feels like they don't need to control the situation anymore because their leader is there and so they That's can right. relax within and that boundary. Know, yeah, I, I, just the same. I totally avoid the words alpha um, mm. and domination. I, I don't think yep. there's ever any need to use any kind of dominating behaviour with, with your pets. But no. you can have, you can demand respect all the same. Yeah, yeah. And when you 
when you do that again, that that's a game changer for so many people that I work with. Yeah, it's just suddenly wow, you know. Oh wow, my dog's so much easier to work. You know, I can I can yeah. have some peace now and then. Yeah, <laughs> it's a thing. much healthier relationship. Yeah. Yeah. And the benefits go both ways, don't they? Because if the animal's more relaxed, then it's going to be enjoying life more. And if it's not bugging the owner and jumping all over them the whole time, then the owner's going to enjoy their life more and then the relationship is going to just flourish within that. Absolutely. And, you know, yeah, then often lovely. the owner starts having healthy boundaries with other humans, which they've never had before. Yeah. And they start yeah. doing this with wow. their dog. Amazing. Oh, I, I'm loving hearing all about the work that you're doing. It's really inspiring me too. Something that I want to go back to, and yeah. this is um, of interest, is you mentioned switching to an, sort of a low inflammation diet, um, a fresh food diet, and you mentioned also other ways that you can reduce inflammation, which is something that not only can cause you know stress and anxiety, but also this silent pain. So Talk us through, you know, the more common supplements you might recommend, the dietary guidelines that you believe in and on sort of nutritional focus to address some of these issues as well. Well, um, one of the things that, that I do is that I tell people to get off all processed food, especially kibble, because that mm -hmm. the way it's treated, the poor protein sources and high carbohydrates all cause low-grade inflammation or high-grade inflammation in some animals in the body. Mm -hmm. And I just say, well, you know, fresh whole foods, just like the human doctor says for you, the more fresh whole foods you eat, the happier and healthier you're going to be. So I feed yeah. my dogs a bath, a prepackaged frozen bath, BARF type diet, biologically yep. appropriate raw food. Yep. Um, but any, any fresh whole food, whether it's home-cooked or commercial like that, would be what I'd recommend for your base diet. Mm -hmm. In terms of Supplements, um, you know, blueberries are a really good antioxidant. Very yeah, nice. easy to integrate into the diet for most animals. Uh, green lip muscle extract is very good, not only for joint mm -hmm. support, but for, for health of the fascia and connective tissues. Mm -hmm. And the the number one herbal medicine anti-inflammatory that I, I go to when I'm needing some active pain relief is, is going to be CBD, cannabis extracts, because preferably uh, a, whole, yes, a whole plant extract. So that's a bit difficult with yep. the legal situation in Australia. Yeah, it is. But there's a lot of it out there using it. We just need to have a um, you know registered product for animals, and I'm sure it's coming. Are you um, recommending a compounded CBD at the moment? No, I, I prefer a whole plant extract because it's got many, many different active ingredients in mm -hmm. it rather than just purified CBD. Mm-hmm. Okay. Other things that can help are rosehip vital and, um, you know, golden paste, uh, those kind yep, of things can turmeric. be helpful. And, of course, prescription medications when you need them are very, very helpful too. Wow. Well, there's a lot, isn't there? So how long does it take you to go through a consultation with, say, a, you know, a new client and a new patient and address all of these different things? Are you seeing people for sort of an hour, an hour and a half? I do 90 minutes for my first consultation with people and I've got to tell you sometimes that feels like it's not nearly enough time yeah you know I take a really detailed history not only of the animal's life but the um the the family situation anything that might be going on with the humans I do a physical examination a silent pain assessment an intuitive assessment we then talk about all the different 
possible treatment options, allopathic and 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 integrative. Uh, mm -hmm. They get to ask questions until they've run out of questions, and then I, I always work hands on and with energy in in each appointment as well. Oh, that sounds so beautiful <laughs> and relaxing. Yeah, I bet you enjoy your work so much. I am the happiest I've ever been in my work at the moment. Oh, that's wonderful to hear. And you can feel it. And I often say this to our guests is that you can just feel the passion and the joy through your voice. And it's just so refreshing because I know that we've got issues in the industry at the moment with with unhappy vets. And, you know, there's, oh, there's oh, always yes. another way. There is. Yeah, so I'm glad that you found that way. Um, and I know that we're getting close to time, but just before we finish up, is there anything else that you'd like to share with us about, you know, anything at all that you want to get the message out there about, then now's your chance. Look, I think the main thing that I just want vets to wake up to is that there is a whole world of soft tissue pain that is at your fingertips that you don't know about. And the sooner mm -hmm. you can start learning about it, and the sooner you can learn how to palpate effectively for this kind of pain, the sooner you're going to be picking up another one in two animals that come to you that have a problem that you didn't know they had. Yeah, that's right. And um, did you want to mention, and we will link to this as well, that you do have some online practitioner training available for vets to go on anywhere around the world and learn this method? Would you mind yeah, just yeah. taking so us you through that? WholeEnergyBodyBalance.com. Whole yep. Um, you will you will find me and my work. We also have a regular free Silent Plane Masterclass presentation in which we go into all of these things in depth. Yep, wonderful. That's great. They're great resources and we'll definitely link to them in the show notes. Oh, awesome. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Ed, for joining us and for giving up some of your day. I've loved talking to you and I feel like we've connected through being fellow Whippet owners too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, of course, whippets are the best. <laughs> They're very unique. <laughs> it's our first whippet, and um, yeah, she's she's very quirky, but we love her. <laughs> yeah, and I might get my hands on her tonight and see if I can find any find any silent pain. Yeah, being, well, being I mean, one of the first things to do is just to start feeling deeper into the body and watching the yeah. animal. If you get a little tiny tightening of the eyes, opening of the eyes, you know, I've got a whole process where we palpate along the ventral side of the, the neck, and then dorsally from head to the tip of the tail, feeling the lateral and vertical movement throughout the, the bone, the vertebrae and the spine, and then assessing the atlas and the sacrum for, for presence or lack of healthy movement. That's that's the whole mm -hmm. comprehensive pattern that I teach. Yep. But just palpating more, a little bit more yeah. firmly because you should be able to yep. palpate really quite firmly without an animal going, oh, that's too much. Yeah. I mean, even if you just do it on your own leg or arm and you don't have a sore spot, you can be really firm without it hurting. So yeah, should be able to apply that pressure too. Yeah. That's the one. Wonderful. <laughs> well, thanks again. And um, I will um, definitely be sharing this podcast with lots of different people who I know will be really interested and inspired by the work you're doing. So thanks again, Dr. Ed, and you have a wonderful evening ahead. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. This was the Pure Animal Podcast, and I'm Dr. Sarah Howard. If you enjoyed my chat with Dr. Ed today and learning about his whole energy body balance method, please find us on iTunes and give us a rating and review.